Hi there, this is Michael F. Schein. I am the author of The Hype Handbook, published by McGraw-Hill, and the founder and president of Microfame Media. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the connection between Hitler and Harvard, why every good movement needs an enemy, why there's actually no such thing as true morality, and what George W. Bush and Margaret Thatcher taught us about unifying a nation by using hype. Welcome back. This is our uh, fourth part with our special guest having a delicious conversation with Michael F. Schein. He is someone who is curious about everything from propaganda to cults to the punk movement to cognitive sciences and the movements of groups in, in a mass hysteria way and why we actually need to have a handbook for, for hype, how hype is not negative or positive, it is neutral, and you and I need to use it in our lives. And uh, we've been discussing a whole mass array of things from morality to marketing, from pedophilia to love. To, oh. I mean, Lincoln, I mean, it's been all over the place and it's so delicious. If you have not heard the previous episodes, go back, because I promise you, it is a fascinating, fascinating conversation. And you can find out more about Michael at Mike F. Shine, spell S. C-H-E-I-N.com. You can also find his company, which is microfamemedia.com. You can find out about it there. And there's, we'll post all of the links to his social and other ways that you can reach out to Michael. Um, one of the things that uh, we, we spoke about a little bit earlier is that, you know, I've been a speaker for 35 years. And um, I'll be honest that I struggled as a speaker initially. Uh, that's not true. My initial first presentation, I did super well um, because I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, a friend of mine invited me to come speak. And I was like, why would I come speak? And he goes, I just want you to speak to all my, he owned a national menswear company. I want you to speak to all the managers na nationally. And I'm like, okay. And, and it's like 14 guys. I'm like, okay, why? And he goes, I just want you to. And I go, I, I'm not a speaker. And he goes, I just want you to do it. And I said, oh, I don't know. I go, what do you want me to speak about? And he goes, you know, we have these great conversations about philosophy and psychology and, and all these different things. And you have such great insights. And he goes, talk about whatever you want. I'm like, Steve, you own a national menswear company. You want me to talk to your managers about whatever I want? He goes, yeah, you'll speak about the right thing. I'm like, okay. And he goes, I have one condition. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I go, what? Now, remember, my previous career was in hairdressing. And I said, what, what's the condition? He goes, I want you to show up looking exactly how you look today. And I said, but Steve, you know, you make my suits. You know, I like to wear suits. And he goes, I can put on a suit. My hair was down to my chest and my hair is ringlet curls. So I look like an 80s rocker, right? My hair was black and ringlet curls, like um, Howard, Howard Stern's hair back in the day, right? And I said, you know, I, I look like a wild man. I, that day I had a skin tight t-shirt and I was a bodybuilder. So I was like, and you know, when you're in your twenties and you're a bodybuilder, it's important that everybody knows every muscle. <laughs> right? So I dressed to show up uh, that day. I had this tight t-shirt on wild hair, jeans with rips in the knees. Yes. They're not just fashionable today. Um, so I had all that on and he said, no, I want you to come wearing exactly this outfit. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. National menswear company? He goes, I want you to dress exactly like this. You talk about what you want. Okay. So I did. I went and I stuck my head in this boardroom 
and everybody's sitting along this load and they're all like, you know, they're button down shirts and they're, they're very uptight and they're all wearing the right outfits. And, you know, they're looking very managerial in a menswear company. And I put my head in the door and they saw me and Steve was speaking. So he saw me, but they saw me and they gave me what we call in England, the F off nod, <laughs> right? Which is F off. You're in the wrong place. Right. right? And, but I stayed as instructed. And then Steve said, let's welcome our speaker Dove. And I come on and you can see clunk jaws hit the desk. Right. And I said, uh, this is, so this is very early eighties in Australia. And I said, put your hand up if you're a racist. Well, you can imagine nobody put their hand up. And there was a big issue around um, the uh, Aboriginal people of Australia, right? And they were being treated very poorly and we were right. trying to break some of that. And so put your hand up. So people, nobody put their hand up. I go, put your hand up if you would judge anybody by the way that they look or the color of their skin. Nobody put their hand up. And I leaned in and said, you're a bunch of freaking liars. Mm -hmm. I didn't say freaking. <laughs> I said the full word. You're a bunch of freaking liars. Every one of you judged me by the way I look. Every one of you decided how intelligent I was, the value I could bring, whether I was your customer or not. What you should know is I am your customer. Steve and I know each other. We're friends. And we met because I came into the store in Perth when Steve was there and you guys made my suits. But you made a judgment call that is destroying your business. Now, I don't remember anything else I talked about. And I thought calling him that would, you know, I thought I would shit the bed on that one. I look over at Steve <laughs> and he has got a smile that looks like a letterbox. His face is, you know, wide open. He knew what he was doing. He was far smarter than I was. And I had a ball. I loved it. I don't remember anything else I talked about, but I loved it. And so three weeks later, Steve comes to me and he says, oh, Alistair wants you to speak for his company. I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, I told him what you did. It was great. He wants you to speak for his company. Again, another national clothing company, but jeans this time. Okay. But now, I, oh, what do I need to do? I'm going to be a speaker. So I start looking at speakers. I start looking at what they look like. And I noticed the uniform, blue suit, white shirt, red, uh, red tie, patent leather shoes, short hair, mustache, like a bad salesperson, cop stash, right? Or porn stash. Porn stash, cop stash. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've got a picture of it. Honestly, Michael, I have to show it to you at some point when we're not on air. I would not get through TSA today because I'm dark skinned. And I had that hair and I looked like a terrorist, right? Like an Arab terrorist who cleans himself up for to, to smuggle into the country. It's just so horrible to look. And I went and spoke and I died a death because I gave away all my authenticity. I gave away right. what was my brand, which was that I wasn't the speaker. And it's what you talk about, about this piece. And you talk about it in your book, um, when you talk about, uh, oh, his name just gone out of my head. I've forgotten his name. Um, he wrote the game. Oh, yeah, that, uh, Neil Strauss, yeah. Yeah, Neil Strauss, who wrote the game. Uh, and about the pickup artists and, and the peacocking and the desire to stand out and make a difference. Right. When you go and speak, I mean, like I said, I speak and I teach other people to speak. When you're going to speak, and I know that you're still in demand as a speaker, but when you go out to speak, what part of that are you talking about? Do you go in with an enemy? That's what I wanted to know. Is like, do you go in with an enemy? You know, I, I did a talk in 
China. And it, it was really, you mentioned it on one of the episodes, it was really a great experience because mm -hmm. I had only been there as a tourist many years before and I was brought there to speak. And, and other than the talk, I got to spend a bunch of time with a bunch of, you know, Chinese people. I mean, people who weren't just there, other Americans on a business trip. So, so it was a great experience on a lot of levels. But at one point, I, it, was, it was to a group of Chinese entrepreneurs who were sort of early stage, but had a lot of early success. And I, I gave my talk on hype. And then at the end, I said, um, you know, you guys are, and all these businesses were businesses that really did a lot of good in the world. They were all in the um, I don't want to call it personal development space, but they were all consultants and, and, and consulting companies that were kind of screened and had to apply and, and were doing really good work. Mm -hmm. and, and what I said is, you know, a lot of people have used these strategies that I've discussed to do some pretty nasty things in the world. And I said, I know the kind of businesses that you people have in here, and it's your moral obligation to learn these strategies and apply them to the great work that you're doing. And, and, and I had said that to American audiences before, and people always like that sentiment, but this audience, I got a standing ovation and I, I heard later people were crying. And I, I think that's because A, it's China where people know, even though they don't talk about it, what negative propaganda can do. But I actually think the enemy might be, there. you know, just, the cynicism out there. there there's this ironically there's this hunger right now to not just you know there's kind of this idea right now and this is maybe the american dream thing that that you're a sucker if you're not getting paid you know it's a paris hilton you know made a sex type tape uh obviously leaked it so that she could get her show popular but she's laughing all the way to the bank and again nothing wrong with sex work but it's like it it doesn't matter what you do, there's no shame as long as there's a paycheck and fame at the end of it. And I think that the idea that maybe creating great work that helps people's lives and doing what you need to do in an ethical way to bring attention to those ideas and that it does really matter that the work is great. I think, I think maybe there's a hunger for that right now because we've been in this cynical world for quite a few years. So let's go to that for a minute, because I want to just go a little bit deeper on that. You know, we're seeing these warring factions. We're seeing more tribalism than probably in over 100 years. What do you, what do you see as the edge? What, what, is the, what is it that you see from your observation that people are so desperately hungry for? You know, gosh, we could talk about this forever, but I, I feel like, you know, going back to our first, our, our very first episode, this is going to sound roundabout, but, but there's a method to my madness. We, we talked about that um, other things that I'm interested in besides hype. And I talked about that whole immersive theater thing, but I have this idea that this magnum opus kind of idea that I want to do a theatrical event around about this character. Who's the biggest star in the world. Mm -hmm. And he's not a rock star. He's not a rap star. He does these thing called shebangs where he um, brings people on stage who volunteer to commit suicide on stage. And he dispatches of them theatrically. 
and he becomes the biggest star in the world. Now, the reason this is not a statement about the ethics of suicide, like we were talking about before, it was kind of like I would see people doing anything as long as they were getting paid at the end of it, or as long as they got famous. I'm like, what's next? Cutting off thumbs to get famous, like yep. committing suicide on stage. So I just think maybe it's because the people who fought, who, who dealt with the last big crises, the, the GI generation, the greatest generation, maybe because they're not in power anymore, they're dying off and the baby boomers don't have collective historical trauma. Uh, maybe it's because some of these ideas have, have lived out their, their, their um, usefulness. Most ideas start out really useful and then they calcify and, 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 and harden and decay and the market economy, that idea has happened to, and it incentivizes these things. But I think people are just worn out and tired by the cynicism, by, by, by the idea that there's no greater purpose, that, that we, you just do every man for himself, do whatever you need to do. And it doesn't matter who you hurt, how uncouth you are, how whatever, as long as you get that paycheck. I mean, we had a president who literally was a game show host whose signature line was you're fired, who basically I, I grew up in Philadelphia and every summer we'd go to the Jersey Shore near Atlantic City. I know a lot of people who hated Donald Trump because this is a guy who, you know, a, a company, a glass company is doing, I don't know, a million in revenue a year, you know, doing well, not big. And they get this big job at a Trump casino. And at the end, he just says, I'm not going to pay you. So sue me. Right. And they go out of business that that guy who sees the world that cynically was rewarded by being made president and just everything else around that. I think people just want a return to being part of something bigger where you're not a sucker if you're ethical, you know? Yeah. But, the, the, but I push back against that, Michael, because I would have agreed with you wholeheartedly except uh, more people voted for Donald Trump in the last election than they did in the first election. More people rallied around him. More people um, dispensed his lies. And, you know, I saw a really, I saw an interview with, um, what's his name? The My Pillow guy. Yeah. Um, and, and he was on a show and I was listening to him and I really want, and he was on a leftist show. So he was on a nighttime show with Jimmy Kimmel and, and you know, I thought he was very, you know, he, he held himself well. He, he was calm. He didn't get hyperbolic about anything. And he said, um, and he said that, you know, he was not a fan of Donald Trump. He didn't know him. And then he met him and he said, here was a guy who kept his word. And that's, and I was like, what? Yeah, weird. Like what? I mean, so. Let, let me clarify. I want to clarify. Yeah. Please. You, you know, I saw Seth, it's because you, you hit the nail on the head in a way. I mean, I saw Seth Godin speak and, and he said, and you know, he's one of the highest paid speakers out there, one of the most successful speaking businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And he made a comment that like, most people have no idea who he is and don't care about him as, at all. You know, half of 1% of the population, but that half percent of the population is millions of people. So yeah. I think that this is not a, an across-the-board phenomenon. I think it's it's getting worse in a lot of ways. You know, I think the 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 internet media, the way internet media is structured, incentivizes it. I I I don't know. I'm saying there's the subset of the population who 
is worn out. And, you know, let's go back to the young. We've been bashing the woke movement and all of this, but these young idealistic people, they've got their problems. But I'll tell you this, it's the Gen Xers and the baby boomers who are the cynics. Oh, absolutely. The Gen Z and the younger millennials are not. Yeah, you know, I'm, they're I'm the ones who are hungry for this meaning and, and this kind of thing. And, and that's admirable. You know, it is. Yeah, I, I, th I and this is part of the challenge. Human beings are driven for meaning. We, we deeply desire meaning. We want meaning. And if somebody presents us with meaning, we will take it usually without much thought. And right. that's the problem. And what I love about young people is that they'll question that meaning, at least initially. Or the um, meaning that they're spoon-fed, they'll question, yeah, because exactly. they're trying to pull away yeah. from what came before. Yeah. So I saw a fantastic piece last week. Um, I don't know if you know, but Brian Rose, who is an American, is running for the, um, for the mayor of London. I didn't right. know that. Yeah. That's interesting. He, yeah. He's from London Real, right? If people probably know him from that. I've met Brian. Um, oh, he's a football. Own. He's a football player. Is that? No, no. Is, he he has a show called London Real. Oh, London Real. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Okay. And, Got it. Uh, so. It's a very. It's a very. It's probably one of the best interview um, podcasts, video podcasts that there was. Um, and I've met Brian. I have my own opinions about Brian. Um, that are not for disclosure here at this moment. Right. However. Um, he's running for London mayor and he's doing so on the premise of free speech. And it's important for people to have free speech. And I will say, I will give Brian credit. He is a phenomenal interviewer and has done a great job of that. Um, but I saw him being interviewed by three 15 year old kids and he thought it was going to be great publicity. And he clearly thought it was going to be an easy interview. Right. Right. And they called him out. These kids were 14 and 15 years old. And they said, if you believe in free speech, why do you remove negative comments about you from your website? Yeah, man. And, and you, you, Brian was like, <laughs> I mean, he was stumbling over himself. That's, that's he, cool. he quit the interview early. They were supposed to be on there for 30 minutes. He bailed at like 17 or 18. Bad Because they kept honestly. asking him hard yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> And the young kid was interviewed afterwards and he said, listen, I just wanted to know if he had any moral fiber. He says, I just wanted to know if he would back up what he said. He, I wasn't trying to attack him. This is a 15 year old kid. Right. And that's the Love thing. Love them. Love isn't them. That, well, isn't that the story? The I mean, we, we often use that phrase, the emperor's new clothes, but people forget it was a little kid who called the emperor out. You know what right. I mean? It, it was, it was, I mean, you know who I, the, the, these Parkland kids, like David Hogg, the, the guys who are fighting for gun control, you can tell how courageous and uncynical they are by the amount of hatred that is thrown their way. That woman with the Jewish space laser, you know, Marjorie Taylor, yeah. the, the lunatic, who, who whatever, yeah. she was like following this guy yeah, and screaming it. at him like a lunatic, you know? I mean, these kids are threatening. And again, there's a lot about that generation. And again, I don't like to think of generations, but th there's a lot of overcorrection going on among young people. But yeah. you, you, you got to admire that, that quest. I mean, our generation, oh, I guess you're a young baby boomer. I'm a young Gen Xer, right. but we're kind of, we overlap. But the, the Gen X generation, I always thought we were real cool because we're like, whatever you know like you're cynical 
But, you know, that doesn't always play well once you become middle-aged, you know? No. Yeah. It doesn't all, it's not always a good look when the world's actually burning and you're just like, whatever. Yeah, you can't have that. And that, that was, yeah, the, the Gen X, uh, often I remember talking about the Gen X, that they were kind of the, they were never really fully rebels. They had Billy Idol, but they were never really we rebels. Nirvana, they, yeah. <laughs> they, they were kind of like, as you said, they were the whatever. And yet there was a whole subset that, you know, that was the, uh, the late punks uh, who came to it, who were part of it. And, but the thing about it, what you were saying there that I love, and I, it's one of the things I love about the Gen Z or Gen Z is that they, they have a natural understanding of hype. And I think we all they do, do because of social media. Right? Yeah. But, but because I think we all do it at 15, but because of social media, they get it in yeah. a way that we have never gotten. That's, that's true. And that we can learn so much from them about positive movement um, and positive challenge. Their entire experience is mediated. You know what I mean? Which exactly. is, has, has its flaws, but it also means they know how to control the narrative. They've been controlling exactly. the narrative since they were born. Yeah. And it, it, for me, it's, it's, I think we, I really, I, I, I definitely believe that the future belongs to the young. I've always believed that even when I was young, but now I think more than ever, we need them to step up and we have to pave that way. I wrote a piece and did a video on it and it was called the three most powerful groups in the world. Um, and the three most powerful groups in the world, I said, were uh, the three groups that we often think of as, as the least powerful. And so I talked women. Women are the most powerful. It's not white-haired men, it's women, because women whisper in the ears of their children. Yeah, they set point, the philosophy typically. and the belief systems yeah. of the future. Right. And then the second group is the young, because they are in touch with their anger. They know what they're pissed off about and they're willing to stand up and fight for it. And we think of them as idiots because they don't know. But right. Because they don't know, they can fight. They also set the culture of the future. I mean, it's, it's, it, it makes me laugh to hear these like 70-year-old baby boomers talking about how, how entitled and disrespectful young people are. And I'm like, dude, like you define, go look at yourselves when you were 20 years old. The baby boomers are calling a generation entitled and disrespectful. Yeah, it's crazy. But the problem is they, not the problem, they set the culture of the future. I'm wearing blue jeans right now. It's inconceivable that I would have a business, I mean, cause this is business, you know, that I would have a business conversation of any kind in 1970 wearing blue jeans. I'd be wearing a tie. Yeah, of course. That comes from the baby boomers. The, the youth sets the culture of the future. You got to remember that when you're interacting with them. And that leads me into the third group. So we got women who whisper in the ears of their babies. So that leads us to the young who are willing to be in touch with their anger and speak out about it. And then that leads me into the third group, which is the artists. Yeah, Because totally. the comedians and the painters and the artists, the theater people, the actors, people who are in the arts will speak a truth that others fear to say. Right, They're right. a little older than the, than the kids who are fighting. They have taken that anger, that, that vibe, that, that willingness to, to rebel, and they've shoved it into a form that is an art. And so we, we, these are the three groups we're likely to dismiss, and they have the power of hype 
But when you get to that third stage, this, and now we've gone full circle to the beginning, they're often the people who say, no, no, I, don't, I won't hype myself. That they do. Well, you know what's a great example of the artist thing, if you consider this art? Will and Grace. I'm not the first person to say this, but I'm 43, which is, you know, middle age, but it's, it's not that old. And, and, and I remember very well in, in, in an age that we thought we were very enlightened if you were gay, you hid that stuff, you know? I mean, I knew zero, I knew one kid in my entire high school who admitted that he was gay. Yeah. And I know tons of kids from that high school who, 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 who are gay and who we, who we more or less knew, but you were considered well, a freak and a pervert and a weirdo. And maybe at, at the very least, you were a colorful character, like in the birdcage, Hank Azaria <laughs> in the birdcage, you know? Right. But um, I've never seen such a sea change in perceptions. I mean, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and she told me the other day, all her friends, like, all say that they're LGBTQ+. plus. They're, they're kids, and they're, they're like, hey, my friends all say they're bisexual. I feel like I'm a weird one because I'm, I'm straight. And I'm like, you guys aren't even sexual. Like, what are you talking about? So it's gone from being, like, the total outcast thing to, like, beyond the norm. And I would yeah. say that art caused that will and grace you could see a, a group of people who were as lovable and normal and it wasn't like paul lind doing the like hands in the air caricature thing these were like kind normal yeah. down professionals and and that's art you know yeah and I, I i think it's so important to get to to those to realize those three groups are so powerful what, you know, as we get towards the end of this particular episode, you know, one of the things that I want to ask you about, Michael, is what do you think is the biggest misconception about hype and how can we flip that around um, in a positive way for ourselves, for our businesses? And, and, you know, and this is not just a, a business show. This is in many ways everything but that. But what is the misconception and how, how do we need to embrace it? This might be beating a dead horse, but I think it's this idea that even if you can use hype morally, it's meant for the like really flamboyant stuff. Like in other words, if you're marketing a band like the Sex Pistols, since we talked about Malcolm McLaren, yeah, sure, you use hype, right? Or... Mm -hmm. Uh, gosh, you know, um, Mark Echo's clothing line. It's that it's this over the top, you know, flamboyant kind of thing. And I, I think it's, and, and as a result, people reject it. They say that's all well and good for you, but I sell insurance, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, but I think it's important to, to note that just because the best purveyors of this stuff tend to be outsiders and flamboyant people it's not because they're flamboyant it's because they don't have the same track as the rest of us if you're going to be a corporate attorney you go to law school you get good grades you move up the thing if you're going to work your way up the corporate ladder same thing it's hard but there's a path if yep. you're creating a clothing line starting a band making a cult you know doing these things it's not so much that you have to be flamboyant it's that there's no path so to me hype is is for the outsider so yes. if you can make it as an outsider, imagine what you can do if you do have resources. This stuff can be applied to insurance, to law, to, to anything. And, and, and you know, I, I think that people confuse the, the practitioners 
with the methods. But when you think about, um, you know, we didn't even get into Bernays, um, but oh, yeah, I know. when you when you think about, because uh, the reason we eat, people eat bacon for breakfast is because of Sigmund Freud's nephew, but we, we're true. not going there right now. <laughs> when you think about it, I want you to give me an example of, and maybe you can think of one, who is somebody who, or somebody or a brand who is very sort of normal every day, who have really tapped in and mastered uh, the skills that you've laid out in this book so well that they've clearly created an enemy. They've clearly got people inside. There is a, a, an entire army behind them of anti, and yet they're very normal. You know, we don't, you know, we wouldn't think of it that way. I'll give you a brand that I never mentioned because they're so boring to talk about because they're everybody's go-to brand. So that's why I'm going to use them now because yep. of the question you asked. Yeah. Apple. Yeah. They were the most highly valued company in the entire world at one point. Mm -hmm. They create computers, you know? Mm -hmm. But think about when, when Steve Jobs and, and I hate that I'm talking about Steve Jobs. It's everyone's go-to, but it's just sure. that they're such a behemoth. Apple I, was on its last legs, 1997. I mean, I remember they were like the joke company. You would go to the video game store and there were like nine games for that you could get for an Apple, right? And then Steve, <laughs> Steve Jobs came back. And one of the first things he did was launch that Mac versus PC commercial with I Justin Long and, and it was John Hodgman. And Justin yeah. Long is this hip artistic guy. And um, the PC is like this, you know, the cop mustache and, and not even the cop mustache, like a scraggly mustache and the gut and, and the tie. And what Steve Jobs was saying was, he wasn't just saying, hey, buy Apple. They look real cool, buy a Mac. What he was saying is you consumer you're a special flower you're different you're not just a corporate drone we're against the corporate drones you're an artist because at the time that's the only people who used max they were they had a better visual card so they took advantage of that you've got an artistic soul even if you work in insurance if you buy a mac you're an anti-corporate type you're you're not you're you're not you know so they did two things there they picked a fight and it's completely nonsense because how, how could that many people have artistic souls, right? And they created a tribe. I mean, what other computer company, they send you, I just got a new Mac and in the thing is a sticker and it's a streamlined decal as good as anything the Nazis ever came up with in terms of like bold images, that Apple totally streamlined. Yep. that I'm supposed to stick on my car or on, on, on my wall to show that I'm part of the Apple tribe, right? They don't say that, but what is that sticker for? And you yeah. see that. You see these, these, these cars with Apple. And so this is the funniest thing. I worked at, um, when I was a copywriter, I worked at this place in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Writer's Space, which is awesome. If you're a serious writer of any kind in Brooklyn, in Park Slope or whatever, you can work at this place. And that means I was a copywriter, but I mean, I, I used to have lunch every day with this playwright who's the hottest playwright now, you know, out there. I mean, it's just whatever. So the people like Brooklyn writers, they're a certain type. They're liberal. They, um, they bring greens to lunch. I remember I was like, where's the scotch and cigars? Everyone would have like quinoa and the greens, you know. 
The women don't wear makeup. I mean, it's a very, um, so they're, you know, they're not, they're, you know, they don't wear designer bags. So, you know, they don't, they're not interested in brands at all. You know, obviously, right. you know, they're not commercial type people. They're not, they're not bougie. You know, they're not at all interested in commercialism and brands. How many PCs do you think were in this place of the writers? I would guess none. Zero. Yeah. So these people weren't into brands. They didn't care about brands. PCs are cheaper. Yep. They do exactly the same thing as a writer. So why weren't there any PCs? <laughs> That's in fact, why weren't there any typewriters? Yeah, exactly. It should have been typewriters. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely brilliant. And I really love that you brought into that because, yeah, I mean, you're right. Everybody references Apple, but it's this understanding of how something it just becomes every day. And I, you know, and I see it with, um, it's, it's like, there's a, there's a real click, a real way to psychologically understand this every man thing as well if you like, yeah so if you can use this to to show that you're an everyman and and donald trump was brilliant at it yeah. i talked about this and i said uh, in the article i wrote there i said the greatest fraud ever uh, put upon the american people was by a guy who was born not with a silver but with a gold spoon in his mouth who convinced the american For three people, generations in i mean right. his father was born with a silver spoon and he was right. born with a gold spoon exactly yeah who convinced the american working man that he spoke for them is crazy good crazy. i mean like I, I look at it in, in totally admiration that's crazy because that every man thing was done so well and the liberals had done such a great job of making sure they didn't look like that and they'd shot themselves in the foot that's and what's was, funny they're the working man's party and it's like their disdain for the very people that it, it, it's very they're very bad they're they're getting better maybe but they're 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 really not good at hype as a rule the, no. the, 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 the not the far left but the the the, the democrats who have, actually have workable policies are very very bad at messaging yeah and and so again we're back to this bias yeah which is i don't want to use hype hype is bad right that's what and it hype is hype is not bad it's bad if you use it bad adolf hitler not so good 100%. Mother Teresa, pretty good. Gandhi, pretty good. But isn't what we said in an earlier episode, I think we maybe even glossed over this. Sig Heil, which was the most horrible thing in the world, was based on the Harvard football champ, yep. which, you know, I understand soccer hooligans, but Harvard kids aren't bashing in windows. They're having a nice, fun, good old time, getting riled up, school spirit, nothing wrong. In fact, it makes people's lives better. And it's the exact same strategy. Exactly. Michael, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate you being with us. Appreciate the time. Loved the conversation. It was delicious. Um, and again, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Please tell our audience where to find out more about you, how to reach out to you. And as I said, of course, we'll put all of your links on our, uh, on our show notes. But for now, let's just tell everybody how they can find out about you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the book is where books are sold. Amazon's the easiest place to get it, but it's in other places, the Hype Hand book. Why don't you go check out my website, my personal website? I have a company website, but, you know, it's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-F, 
shine, S-C-H-E-I-N.com. And, you know, the reason I say that this time is that that's really where my ideas are. That's where stuff about my speaking is. That's where stuff about my writing is. It really gives you a feel for me and my contact information's on there as well. Fabulous. For you, dear listener, dear viewer, thank you so much for being with us. Again, we need your help in staying relevant. So please get out, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it with everybody you know. You know, we really need to get this message out there about staying curious. That's the way for us to open up our minds and, and really become great about this. So again, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Michael Shine. Thank you to you, dear listener, dear viewer, and sharing the show with everybody you know. Until next time, you know the drill. Stay curious, my friend. Stay curious.